Welcome to Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. On today's show, we talk with Brooke Pryor and Sam Mellinger about the Chiefs draft. The Chiefs took six players in the NFL draft this year, but the conversation was about more than the players that they drafted. Later in the show, we talk with Missouri beat writer Alex Schiffer about his experiences covering the NFL draft in Nashville and Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback who was taken in the second round. In many years, we would have dived right into uh, the players that the Chiefs selected, but there were a couple of sort of other stories that involved uh, other Chiefs players that will delay our entry right <laughs> into the draft. Two of those, um, uh, one, one of which is, is Frank Clark. They traded out of the first round for Frank Clark, and, and so the Chiefs didn't have a first-round pick. They started in on the second round. The other, of course, is Tyreek Hill, which dominated the the, um, the the conversation in Kansas City over the weekend. So while 31 other teams uh, spent the weekend talking exclusively about the draft, those of us in Kansas City uh, spent a lot of the time discussing Tyreek Hill. And Brooke, I know this was your first NFL draft from this side of things. From yeah. this side, right? As as a you know as a beat writer, NFL beat writer. So. Uh, I think it was probably a little bit of an unusual experience for you. But I hear that the food was just as good this time as it usually is at the facility. Man, so was it ever. we're thankful for that. But it was interesting because my favorite line of the weekend came from Pete Sweeney over at Arrowhead Pride. He said, this weekend, it feels like having a funeral during Christmas at the Chiefs, which was the best way that I've heard it described. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like the rest of the league is pumped about all the guys that they're adding. The Chiefs, of course, are adding guys, but then there's also this Tyreek Hill thing that is overshadowing all of it and every move they're making, this is in the backdrop. And I don't think, Sam, that um, the, the timing of the Tyreek Hill, the Tyreek Hill news was, um, was planned for the draft weekend. It's just ha- how it no. happened to fall. But it fell at a time when the Chiefs or any team would want to spend the whole weekend talking about their future and – the Chiefs have to include in their future one possibly without Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, the, the audio tape was released by KCTV5 basically in response to Steve Howes, the, the Johnson County DA's decision to not press charges. Which hap- that right? happened on a Wednesday. Yeah. And the KCTV tape was yep. released on Thursday, which was the day of the first About round. About an hour yeah. before the first round started, it aired. It was the top of the 6 o'clock news. Draft started at 7. So, so in, unless Steve Howe, for some reason that I can't think of right now, uh, scheduled that press conference because it was the day before. Steve Howe, secret Raiders fan. Let's start that <laughs> yeah. rumor going. Um, that, that part of it was a coincidence. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it hung over everything. And then um, they trade up um, for a short, absurdly fast <laughs> receiver <laughs> with some return skills and (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. what a weird coincidence i I, I know what they said right that 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 had nothing to do with it but what andy Reid said right right out of the gate i don't like i don't think anybody believes that and i'll tell you this i don't think andy Reid expects anybody to believe that right i felt like something that he just had to say the quote was this is someone Brett had his eye on from the get-go. It doesn't have anything to do with the things going on right now. It's just a player he's felt good about, and the way the board fell, he was right in a, there in a position to do that. And, and we're talking about McCole Hardman, they're, they're the first player that they selected, which was in the second round, who, yeah. as you described, Sam, has 
many of the attributes and <laughs> yeah. characteristics, uh, physical characteristics of Tyree yeah. Hill. And, and just to be clear, I believe the first part of that quote from Andy that this is a guy that Brett Veach had his eye on. I believe that. Sure. Um, and, and I believe the second part, that the way that the board fell and blah, 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 blah. I do not believe the middle part, that this had nothing to do with, you know, the Tyreek Hill news. I just I find it very hard to believe that they'd have traded up for a short, fast guy if they had Tyreek Hill. You know, I think maybe they try later in the draft to find a short, fast guy right. or whatever. I, I do Because I do believe that, um, that they wanted some wide receiver depth. Um, I absolutely yeah, believe well, that. Yeah, and that's something that really took a hit during free agency with Chris Conley yep. gone, D'Anthony Thomas, his you know yep. injury and situation. He's, I don't think, with the team any longer. They didn't re-sign him. Um, but, yeah, yeah, they absolutely needed that guy. But I don't. I, I agree with you that they wouldn't have wasted that pick. It's not a waste, but they wouldn't have, wouldn't have used, used it, it on yeah. that when they have so many other positions of need that they could have addressed that high up. But he did give himself a little cover by – being able to say that they traded up for the pick, right? They had to, they traded up five, they, they went up five spots because they thought, I'm I, I, taking a guess here, they thought the Jets. They did. May have been interested. Right. And that's, that's from, from what I've heard, that's right, that the Jets were also after McCole Hardman and they were going to try to make a play for that number 56 pick. And that's what, when we talked to Brett Veach, he alluded to something like that happening and he didn't tell us the team, but we're just guessing. Right. We're just right. And, and we've seen a couple of reports out of New York that that that's the case. Um, But Brett Veach said, we weren't necessarily worried about a team that had a pick before us getting McCall Hardman, but we were worried that a team was going to trade up to kind of leapfrog us. So that's why they decided to deal their fifth round pick to, to go up four spots, five spots. The thought on many national analysts and then locally was that the Chiefs would go defense with their first pick, knowing that you know they, were, they weren't going to be in the first round, knowing they weren't going to pick until 61, which was their original uh, first pick in the second round, first pick in their draft. And we thought cornerback is the, the, the biggest position of need. When the corners – there was only one taken in the first round. Only one – DeAndre Baker was the only cornerback taken in the first round. But then they came off the board really quickly in the second round. I mean, like uh, like four of the first eight and maybe something like that, six of the first 14 were, were cornerbacks taken. The Chiefs still hadn't picked. Now, the, the, I think the Chiefs – could have traded up, could have could have traded picks to get up and move into the you know, the first 10 picks somewhere in the second round. And if they really liked one of those cornerbacks, it was also a draft where the, the reputation of the cornerbacks wasn't – this was not a good draft for corners. I mean, thus they fell to the, into the second round. Right. And when the second round started, two guys immediately came off the board, Byron Murphy and Rocky Sen, who I think were some guys the Chiefs were really, really interested in. Um, and then four picks after that – Sean Bunting from Central Michigan came who, off the board. Who, who the Chiefs have identified as somebody I think we exactly. we thought they were interested in. Yeah, Bunting. those those top three guys were all guys that they I think really wanted, but they would have had to give up a lot to move up to that spot. So I think that's why they just kind of passed on the corners. And Joan Williams, corner from Vanderbilt, went with the forty fifth overall pick to the Patriots. He was another guy the Chiefs liked. But yeah, I mean I, I think that they saw the board wasn't falling in their way as far as corners go in that second round. And that's, I think, also contributed to McCole Hardman kind of moving up on their board. Okay, so they pick, they get Hardman, um, who, from from uh, Georgia, got speed. I remember him, I remember watching him catch an 80-yard uh, touchdown uh, pass in the, in the, in the uh, CB, 
what is it, the college football championship game a couple <laughs> years ago. I can't. I can never remember uh, the CFP. initial CFP. Thank you very much. As opposed to the BCS. Yeah. Right? Uh, but whatever he, that game is called now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, against uh, in, in the Georgia or the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Alabama, he was he caught two touchdowns in that game. He was pretty impressive. In, in his speed is is obvious. So. Uh, I, we talked to Brett, Brett Veach earlier today, and he was the guy that identified as somebody who they think Chiefs going to help the Chiefs immediately. Could see him on the field right away. Wasn't going to speak for the coaches, but right. He, but he, in his opinion, he'll be out there soon. Which, in my mind, and may, maybe we're reading too much into this here, but hearing I expect to see him play a lot in Week One is another sign to me that Tyree Kill's not going to be on this team. It probably is. I, I think that I think if you take somebody that high, they better play. Well, that's right. You know, Th- that's right. Uh, they better play, and and he really is. It, it's a weird thing. He's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, I don't think. But I mean, he's who so really fast. <laughs> like I mean, if you if you watch his tape, like some of these snaps, there's plays where it looks like not only the defender has a possible angle, but an easy angle, and he just zooms right by him. It's 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 pretty remarkable. Um, th- there are some things that that he needs to learn. Like if this is the comparison that we're going to go with, and it probably should be, um, I, he's really raw, you know. Like and and when you're a receiver at Georgia, <laughs> right? That's the point I was going to make. Yeah, you, you don't get used that much. You you don't. I mean, they've turned out some decent receivers. I mean, Julio yeah. Jones came out of that totally. program, so they've 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 had some good ones. But it's not Chris Conley came out of Georgia, right? But. Um, that's not what the SEC often is about. There, there have been good wide receivers, good skill players, quarterbacks, whatnot, but it's a defense and running game yeah. league. But it's the best, too. I mean, when you're signing, when you're drafting and signing a, a player out of that conference, and, and Georgia's been at the top of the SEC now for the last few years, you're, you know, you're the closest to the NFL yeah. when you're playing in that, in that scenario, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, even though his stats weren't wild, right? He was 30, 30 something receptions mm-hmm. last year, five hundred and something yards. Um, not that not wasn't an All America. I don't think he was yeah. even first team All SEC, anything right. like that. But you know his measurables are terrific. He, he's yeah. you know he, guy like the, guys like this are typically NFL ready. It's it's all like sort of what you hear anyway. Um, it, it's it's subtleties with him. He's got to work on um, you know his breaks. Like it's, it's little things like he takes too many steps in breaks. It's, um, you know, these side adjustments, which is, you know, the, you're supposed to one run, run one route, but depending on how the safety's playing, you do a different one. Um, it, it's stuff like that. But I think they feel like he's a smart kid. Um, you know, just mentally he's, he's advanced so he can pick up that stuff. You would think pretty easily now, like one thing. And again, if you watch and I'm, I'm not pretending that I've watched like all of his tape or anything, but I have watched some, what have you been doing? And, so? yeah, <laughs> and he had a really nice contested, you know, sort of back shoulder catch for a touchdown, I think against LSU, but I don't quote me on that, but there, there's other plays where contested catches are tough for him. You know what I mean? And look, like that's why they're contested catches, right? They they should be tough. But that's sort of again, if we're gonna go with this comparison, Tyreek Hill was incredible in those situations. I still think about that pat, that catch from catch. earlier this year where he caught it and was like hit at the same time. Was that the Chargers game? I think. Yeah, Maybe. week one. Yeah, week one. Yeah. He had some of those incredible yeah. catches that his his hands were the least, you know, talked about, but most maybe most impressive thing about yeah. Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill was great hands. Yeah, and, and there's a gap there with Hardman. He's he's got to 
you know, he's got to improve. That yeah, area. and I don't know if that was the case with Hill in his first year either. Um, I remember, I, I don't remember drops ever being a problem with him. No. I, I remember just like right away, the biggest problem with him was just his, he, he would, uh, you know, sort of curve routes. Yeah, yeah, it was the route running. And, you know, but but the ball tracking and the hands, I mean, he was like right away, ooh, they might have something. And I think, you know, some of that like side adjustment stuff that we were just talking about uh, with Hardman was probably something that, that Tyreek had to work on as well. But it's, look, it's a nice, um, there's a lot of potential there and it's a nice, it's sort of a nice starter kit. You know, for for a really nice weapon, especially in that offense. Yeah, but but we're also looking at possibly you know Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson being the the top two guys right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you know that's that's fine. I mean that that's that's probably average NFL average. Yeah, right? but it's not what last year's. It's not was. I mean, you throw Kelsey in as a you know a pass catching tight end, the guy who caught a hundred and what three balls last year. Right. Yeah. You know, he's he's a difference maker for sure at his position. Sammy Watkins is a good two, a bad one. Yeah. Right. That's right. If he's healthy. And yeah. <laughs> and <there's laughs> that's that. the biggest problem here is and like hmm. Demarcus Robinson, a good three, a bad two. Yep. Right. But I mean, look, I I think there's a lot of talent. Into Marcus Robinson, I think he could be a guy whose production jumps quite a bit uh, from last year. I keep thinking about the um, shoot, which game? It, it was a home game. He got the long, like eighty-eight yarder. Do you remember this? I um, do. Yeah. And and I forgot which game that was. It was late in the season. Was but, that Patrick's eighty or fiftieth touchdown? It may have been. It may have been. Um, yeah. You're and, right. I think that yeah, is, yeah. I think that was his one. Yeah. And and I just remember like talking to them like in the locker room after that game, and that was not the route he was supposed to run. Um, and I can't remember if he was supposed to come back or break it off or whatever, but he had the guy beat, and he and Patrick, you know, sort of locked eyes. He puts his arm up. Patrick knows what that means. He goes deep. It's it's an 88 yard touchdown. Like that's the kind of stuff. If you can get more of that from Demarcus Robinson, he can be a really good player. But you know, sort of look. He had been the three, <laughs> right? Know? Right, and that's that's you know that's better than if he's your two. Okay, let's let's uh, move on. And with the uh, they had another, Chiefs had another second round pick and took uh, Juan Thornhill, the the uh, defensive back from the University of Virginia. I kind of think I, I kind of like this pick as much as any of the picks. Yeah, that, yeah, I think I graded this one an, an A or an A plus when I did my draft grades yesterday because he's a really versatile guy. Which like versatile is Lord if there's ever been a word used. Yep. More often, but but I mean, it, it works really well with this team because it's true they they did go for all kind of versatile guys across the board, and Juan Thornhill fits right in there. He's a guy that they can see using in a lot of different positions. But as as Veach and I think as Andy Reid also said, he gives them a true center fielder free safety that allows Tyron Matthew to play strong safety, which Tyron Matthew said in his opening introductory press conference, he feels like Superman. The closer he gets to the ball. That allows him to do that, put Juan at free safety, but you can also switch it up. Um, so I think he's he's the perfect complementary piece next to or, or playing with Tyron Matthew. Well, I think I, I think with the drafting of Thornhill and what I've heard about him and what I've seen, uh, along with the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, that that position has been upgraded as much as any, the safety position has been upgraded as much as any that the Chiefs had, and had the farthest to go when, when it can't, when it comes to upgrading. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, uh, that position was a train wreck last year, and you know, like, uh, I'm not gonna pretend that I cover the other 31 close enough to say this definitively, 
But I can't imagine that there are too many teams with any position group as bad as the Chiefs' safety group was last year. I think that was mostly responsible for their 31st yeah. ranking of total yeah. defense. It, a safety af- position. it affected it everything that they did. It, it, that group was just horrendous. And now it's been remade into potentially a strength. And those two guys are not just – look, especially Matthew. I, like – Again, it's easy like when you focus on on one team, you kind of lose track of, of how good other players are. But that guy's a stud, and he makes plays everywhere. And and he he can play um, sort of linebacker. You know what I mean? He, he can blitz. I mean, he, he can do so much. And Thornhill's not just a good player in his own right from what we can see, right? Uh, you never know how that you're, translates. You're not playing top uh, competition at Virginia. Yeah. But so so it's not just two good players, but it's a really good pairing because it allows Matthew to – be closer to the line of scrimmage and be more of that playmaking threat that the Chiefs really haven't had, uh, you know, without Marcus Peters and and without Eric Berry. Yeah, and, and since yeah. since a healthy Eric Berry in yeah. that position. Yeah, and 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 Thornhill is a good compliment compliment with the E, not the I, in that of of being able to cover ground and being you know sort of that that classic center fielder type. Um, <laughs> Some of the stuff, I'm not comparing these two players, um, but some of the reasons that the Chiefs were really aggressive in trying to get Earl Thomas, both in a trade and in free agency, is because of his skill set that Juan Thornhill has. You know, look, I'm not, again, yeah. you know, poor man's version or whatever, but that's that's sort of, I think, what, what they're looking at. It, it, it just, it goes from, again, like the worst position group on the team to potentially a strength. Okay, and so the the personality award for the draft goes to their third round pick, Colin Sanders, who um, was um, uh, we, we saw Phil, as soon as they drafted him. Of course, mm-hmm. we always do. We go right to the you know, social media to check out this guy, and we saw the film of him doing backflips. Backflips. He's this is a guy who I, I was texting one of my friends who is a um, NFL writer, and she was with me at the Senior Bowl, and we saw Colin Sanders there. And she, or Colin Saunders, and, and she did a story on him. And I told her, I was like, you know what? I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I know everybody was doing stories on him. But I specifically, like, didn't invest a lot in, in getting close to him and getting stories on him then because I was like, I just know I'm going to get a draft crush on this guy and there's no way the Chiefs are going to be able to take him. And, like, I'm just going to get my hopes up and it's going to be for no reason. And so when he gets drafted, I was like, yes, like, this guy, not only does he do backflips, he is what, like six foot six two, six, somewhere six in there. Six two, three twenty five, something like yeah, that. Yeah, three twenty five was a running back in high school. Totally here for that. His daughter was born. He was like having to debate with his fiance now wife. Um, she was due supposed to be, I think, the week after the senior bowl, and she went into labor when he was in Mobile. And he was like, "Should I come back?" And she was like, "No, like you need to stay here because eventually you're going to have to provide for your daughter." And so. You went to Western Illinois. You don't have a ton of tape. You need to be here so people can get to know you. And she was born while he was in Mobile, and I think he saw the birth via FaceTime. Um, but, like, everything about this guy, the story is great. His um, telecom, his his conference call with us after he was drafted was great. I think I asked him if he did a backflip, or maybe you asked him if he did a backflip after he got picked up, and he said, no, I uh, was holding my daughter, so I didn't think that would be safe, which, like, what a great, you know, just good answer, easygoing guy, and I think that he's going to, A, I mean, personality fit-wise, work great with the Chiefs, and B, I mean, I think he's going to be a part of this core nucleus of this defensive line, and Steve Spagnuolo's kind of trademark um, 
just just the rotation that they use on that defensive line. They keep coming and keep coming, and you get him with Derek Nottie. And I think that you get a really strong defensive front that doesn't have many weaknesses. A rotation. They're a gonna rotation. Have, they're going to have a rotation there, and they're also going to have maybe a little uh, little bit of competition about who gets to you know line up in the backfield uh, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Uh, we, we that we have seen over the years. Well, actually, we only saw it with really only one player, really, in the Andy Reid era with Don Terry Poe. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jones has been jonesing for that responsibility <laughs> yeah. since he's been there. <laughs> and, but but Colin Saunders has been in the end zone uh, as you know as lining up at fullback for, for Western Illinois. There's only one other team that I would like to see him with in that regard, and that'd be Chicago with Matt Nagy's kind of. The, the defensive specials that he'll like go pull a defensive guy out of the room and have him, you know, working on a trick play. But like, I think that Andy Reid could do that with Colin Saunders. And I, please, 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 I'm so here for that. But I mean, Don Tommy Poe, let's, first of all, um, I, I looked it up. It was uh, against the Raiders, Demarcus Robinson's. Which, was the, which was yeah, the regular the, season the, finale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Don Tommy Poe, Let's let's you know let's respect what he did with the Chiefs because he lined up. It was amazing. He lined up wide. Yes, he lined up in Put the him backfield. In motion. Yeah, he lined, Lord. He he was the Wildcat quarterback. Like that's yep. a, a, those are big shoes well, to fill. Who could forget that's his just, jump pass yeah. against the Broncos God. on Christmas night? That was yeah. unbelievable. I'm yeah. so sad I missed this. Oh, oh yeah, you 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 should be you should. Be. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel it. I've, I wrote yep. like, remember when the, the Raiders game when he caught the, you know, hungry pig, right? Oh yeah. And I mean, that, that column was just a love letter. To that, <laughs> to that I just wrote a thousand words on I, that. I'll never forget you coming back up to the press box. You were just like, kind of, yeah. you were floating. You were <laughs> yeah. floating. Yeah. I was like, I found out the play call. <laughs> that was classic. I was so happy. But I do think in, in Collins Honors, the Chiefs might, you know, Chris Jones has been asking to do this, but yeah. he, he didn't play any of this position in college. Yep. Saunders did. And we, yeah. we might see him incorporated in a little bit of offensive. Yes. In the playbook a little bit. And also, like, I mean, Chris Jones is a tremendous athlete at that size. Um, but Saunders, there, there's a clip. I think it was Seth Kaiser tweeted out this clip of Saunders lining up basically as an edge rusher. Did you see this? No, no. As an edge rusher, no hand in the dirt, just standing up like he's D Ford or something. And and he he get and look, it's Western Illinois. I don't know what team he was playing, whatever. But he gets the left tackle with sort of with an inside move, with a fake outside plants inside explodes and gets a sack. Like I mean, it, there's some legitimate, you know, uh, as the football people might say, there's some legitimate wiggle. Wiggle, yes, in that's, his game. There's that was a, a phrase a I saw. Wiggle about him well, which I'm here for it also. And listen, if you're 325 and wiggling, yeah. th- that's an advantage. <laughs> yes. And not just jiggling, <laughs> wiggling greater right. than jiggling here. Okay, so let, let's go through the final three picks kind of quickly here. Um in in the sixth round, they, of course, the Chiefs they had a lot of time to wait. Oh my gosh, <laughs> had a lot of time Saturday. to kill. So yeah, it's rounds 4 through 7 on Saturday and the Chiefs didn't pick until late in the 6th. I think someone counted four and a half hours yep. from the time <laughs> it was the draft a long started. Time. Until the of Chiefs course picked. they counted. <laughs> So uh, Rashad Fenton, the cornerback from South Carolina. Sam, how how are they going to use him? Do you think? Well, um, I mean, he's fast, right? Like, and he's he's got some ability there. Um, You just you know that if a guy that fast at a premium position is available in the sixth round, there's a reason. Who 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 also played 
you know, in the SEC. SEC, right. So, you know, there's a reason he was still available, some, some rawness and, and, and that kind of thing. But that, that's a position that they had to get, right, for depth. I think if you're looking at the draft sort of overall, um, corners probably the position that got shortchanged. Somebody had to get shortchanged, right? Um, and in this situation, it was probably corner. If they can get something out of him, um, you know, obviously that helps it. But, it, you know, I, I would assume that that's a bit of a project. Okay. Also in the sixth round, uh, running back Darwin Thompson from Utah State. Interesting background for him. He's rocked up, by he's the way. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> he's a rocked up guy. Yes, rocked up. Uh, because he's 5'8", 200, 200 pounds, and... One year of FBS football at Utah State. He was in junior college for three years. He redshirted once uh, as a freshman, played two years at Northeast Oklahoma, A&M at Miami, Oklahoma, and and then told us on, on the conference call afterwards that he didn't think he would, uh, you know, w- w- there was no reason for him to come back for a fifth year of college. He's probably right. Chiefs seem pretty excited about him for a, for a sixth-round pick. Yeah, I mean, he's – they, I think the thing that's really intriguing about Darwin Thompson is that he's different from the backs that they have in that room right now. You know, mm-hmm. right now we, we all know Brett Veach has a type. It's running backs that are like six feet tall, 220 pounds, can do a little bit of everything. Darwin Thompson is 5'8", like 200 pounds, I think. So he's, I mean, he's a big dude. He's just compact. Um, and he's kind of like a bigger version of a scat back. And I think that they like him, that he can be this change of pace guy. Um, and I think that he's going to have a real shot to to make the team. There's going to be some competition, as Brett Veach said today on the conference call, for that you know last couple roster spots. Um, but he can catch the ball in the backfield. He's a playmaker. Uh, he can run through contact. Um, I think they like a lot of things about him. And I mean, there's, there's a lot to like. I think he's going to be really fun to kind of watch. I think what the comp today was Deion Lewis – um, I've seen some other comps, Tariq Cohen. But Tariq Cohen's smaller. Um, he seems like he's a bigger version of, of Tariq Cohen. Which... I know we talked to the scout, uh, the area scout, mm-hmm. who uh, scouted him on, on after the pick was made, and someone suggested Darren Sproles. Sproles is actually a little bit smaller than yes. the five. Sproles might be like five, six and mm-hmm. a half or something. Um, Doran Thompson's five, eight. Okay, with this, in the seventh round, Nick Allegretti, the offensive lineman from Illinois, who is clearly one of the most interesting people in, in, in oh, the draft. Oh, I'm so excited about oh, this guy. Oh, my gosh. So let me, I'll set it up a little bit. Uh, got his uh, uh, graduated in December of 17 from Illinois, got his master's in December of 18 while he continued to play for the Illini. Um, hobbies include puzzles, Rubik's Cubes. Coin collecting. And he's a coin collector. Which is in his Twitter bio. He uses, like, what the actual word is. Is it pneumatist? Something yes. like that. Show off. <laughs> we, you know what? When we're in the seventh round, please God give me something interesting to write about. It's numis numismatist. Ah, uh, yes. it again. Numismatist. Say it twice. Nope. Fast. Nope. Okay. Uh, why don't you say? <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll be learning to spell it though. Soon, yeah. Right. Like, like next week. I mean, I've here. been tripping over <laughs> spelling his last name. A two L L E G R E T T I. Yeah. So I have to like. Remember, you know, it's two L's, two T's, one G, because I keep wanting to do double all the letters. So love the background. Chiefs went into the draft, I, I think, looking for an offensive lineman. He, he played guard and center, and I think guard will be his first look yeah. with the Chiefs. But going back to uh, to Brooks' favorite word, versatility, um, 
Yeah, that, that's what all the offensive linemen the Chiefs have play multiple positions. That's just and that's how it is in the NFL anymore, anyway. Yep. Um, it, you know, with the exception possibly of the tackles. I mean, the guards and centers are yep. in, interchangeable. So. Uh, Nick Allegretti, interesting guy. We'll talk to him this weekend. And of, of the undrafted free agents, which, you know, that's a sport unto itself right after the draft, right? The Chiefs ended up signing another, as all teams do, another 15 to 20 guys afterwards. Anybody I think they there? They were at 19 when 19? I counted last night. Um, who are the most interesting names there? They've got some good names back there. Um, Darius, was it uh, Harris? The Darius middle, Harris, yeah, linebacker. linebacker. Um, Gary Johnson, linebacker out of Texas. Second team All Big Twelve. Last yep. Year. Uh, Mark Fields, cornerback from Clemson. Uh, John Lovett. His last name's Lovett, and I know a person named John Lovett, and I'm hoping that it's the same well, you, person. You know an actor uh, named John Lovett. Yeah. Yes, yes, I I know him very well. Um, an athlete out of Princeton. Princeton. He was all it's, Ivy League. Court, I think he was the Ivy League quarterback of the year, player of the year. Maybe. But off, they, yeah. yeah, but they like the idea of using him as a hybrid. H back, full back, somewhere in there. Um, something like what Trey Burton was used as. Um, I'm trying to think who else. That could be like that potential tight end depth a yeah. little bit that they've been That's chasing right. we, for a long we time. We thought they might draft one. They, yeah. did, they ended up not drafting yeah. a tight end. Yeah, well, I mean, tight end was definitely a position of need and that they had a high priority on, yeah. but I just think that there was no one that really, like, the the pick matched the value. Right. The only other name that you didn't mention, you, you named – the big ones, but uh, big, but uh, it's James, right? I know his last Booby, name is Williams, Williams because he's a Chiefs running back. But yeah, the out of Washington State, I think running back, you yeah. know, th- there might be a little bit of potential there. Mm-hmm. And Shermer, the the Vanderbilt quarterback, uh, four year starter at Vanderbilt, yeah. uh, who's the son of the New York Giants coach. He's there for you know, he's there for depth. Uh, yeah. He's there depth. to get dirt on the Chiefs, and he's going to go give it back to his dad. So <laughs> that's what it is. Just so. kidding. Let's not let's not put that out there. I'm sure Brett Veach is listening to this, and is all of a sudden like, oh man. Man, we really screwed up. Sorry. <laughs> you can't come here. Uh, so coming up for the Chiefs, rookie minicamp uh, starting Saturday and then a series of OT, the OTAs. Whenever it changes from – maybe this is when it changes from phase one to phase two. You know, we, we were in yeah. the phases last time we talked. Um, and, and I don't know how many phases there are. but Too uh, many. Yeah. But uh, the phases continue into June, by the way. Oh, they sure do till June through June 13th. That's yes. the last day of OTAs. Many of the phases that were – The last day of mandatory minicamp, I think. Yeah, that's what it is. Whatever. We'll be there. All right, Brooke Pryor and Sam Ellinger, thanks for breaking down the Chiefs draft list today. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State. And no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, Thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town, just eight cents a day or $2.50 a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash SportsPass. We're joined by Alex Schiffer, beat writer, covers Mizzou for the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, and in a rare, the rarest of sightings, Alex has joined us in studio today. 
Alex, how you doing? Good. I was about to say the same thing. Rare in studio appearance for me. Yeah, I guess Big we can. Ca- yeah, we can count on this about oh, I don't know once every three months or so. But uh, we are we are so fortunate to have you here, and we sure enjoy talking to you in studio. And we're and you're here today, uh, fresh off of covering the NFL draft on site in Nashville. You were there to uh, to, to chronicle the the um, the doings of. Drew Locke, Emmanuel Hall, um, any other Mizzou players that might have been drafted. And as it turns out, it was, I think I overheard you say this earlier, you, the, the stories that you anticipated doing didn't quite turn out the way that you thought. Um, but that always turns from a, you know, from a sports writer's perspective, sometimes that's, that's just better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but let's, let's start with uh, what you went down to do. Uh, what, what did you anticipate with, with Drew Locke and what happened? So the original game plan was going to be in bed with Drew a bit on Wednesday, uh, cover the first round Thursday. Drew goes in the first round, spend the second night with Emmanuel Hall, who was projected to go maybe in the 50s, then late, you know, third round, and then spend the last day with Paul Adams, the offensive lineman, who maybe he got drafted in the late rounds, but likely a free agent. I thought it'd be a cool story of, you know, how does a free agent go about learning their destination? And uh, got there Wednesday around 1.30. Didn't really hear anything from the lock camp all Wednesday. Uh, meet with the locks mid-Thursday morning, uh, or I guess around Thursday afternoon around 1 p.m. Uh, get great stuff. Go to the draft. You know, we've been in Nashville. You think about the amount of times you have to go to Nashville for the Mizzou beat Vanderbilt for both basketball and football. SEC tournament. Uh, NCAA tournament for Mizzou last year. I, I think I've eaten at every place there is to eat. I don't even need directions anymore when going around the city. And uh, and so then Drew doesn't go Thursday, so that completely throws a monkey wrench into everything. It changes a lot of things, really, about the quarterback, uh, <clears throat> the quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, so let's 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 pause there, and yeah. then we'll, we'll pick up yeah. the others. So so Drew Locke uh, doesn't go in the first round. I think, and I think you'll agree with me that. Uh, that the for the quarterbacks, the draft took an interesting turn at pick number six. Completely. So what happens at pick six? Uh, the Giants take Daniel Jones from Duke, not to be confused with the former Tribune beat writer, Danny Jones, as we have a lot of fun with the Mizzou beat. Uh, three, side note, three official like NFL Twitter handles tagged Daniel Jones, the beat writer, instead of Daniel Jones. The Twitter. It was, we were all having a, uh, fun with it. So, yeah, the, the Giants took Daniel Jones at six. And then Dwayne Haskins went at 15. Obviously, Kyler Murray went at number one. And then, so Thursday night ends without Drew Locke getting selected. We thought after Haskins was picked at, at 15 by the Redskins mm-hmm. that, that uh, the Giants had their quarterback already at 16. Mm-hmm. So the Broncos at 20 would be the next best uh, landing spot for, uh, for, for Locke. And, I'm sorry, um, yeah, mm-hmm. am I right about that? Yes. So, but then and then there were a couple other other spots after that where it could have happened. It didn't happen for Drew Locke in the first round. Yeah, and and to touch on some of those, you know, I really thought the Chargers had a chance to take him at twenty eight. Uh, Ken Wisenhunt, the OC, was at Missouri's pro day. Philip Rivers worked out with Drew with Jordan Palmer when they were out in California, and I thought that was the best. I thought I made a list the other day of, of ideal lengths, but I had the Chargers number one because. They have a young p- offense between Mike Williams, Hunter Harvey at tight end, Melvin Gordon. They could have, he'd be the young quarterback to kind of build around all those guys with. Phillip Rivers, I think, had a very identical college career to Drew Locke. He put up big numbers at a school that doesn't really have 
a ton of national attention for football in Correct. terms of NC, NC State, NC State right. your neck of the woods. And someone told me that Phillip Rivers didn't beat a lot of ranked teams or deliver in big games a lot the way. Correct. So I, I thought it'd be a, a perfect, perfect fit. And they didn't. T- but I think the counter argument is, and this is kind of the same thing with the Chiefs. Why would you take a building block when you're a player two away from the Super Bowl? Obviously, the Chargers got blown out by New England, but when you're in the playoffs, why are you looking to the future? They when think you're- they're close. Exactly. So I thought the Chargers would have been a good fit. New England, for obvious reasons. Even Green Bay. But I think they're another team that a couple good players and free agent signings, they're back in the playoffs next year. So, uh, so yeah, one, you know, it was tough for me to kind of have a story ready because you just kept thinking, all right, well, Broncos at 20. The Raiders had two picks. That was another one. John Gruden really liked Drew Locke from the time of the Senior Bowl. And then the Chargers and the Patriots. So I kept adjusting the gun I had written of, like, Locke enters a situation where he'll sit behind Phillip Rivers. <laughs> Instead, now Tom Brady, the defending <laughs> champs, you know. So, right. so it was tough to really write him off completely, even going to those last few picks, because it's like, well, all those teams have older quarterbacks without an, an heir apparent. So we did believe that the Broncos, if we had a pie graph of potential Drew Lock landing spots, the, the Broncos probably had the largest slice of the pie. We thought it would be in the first round. Turns out it's going, it's in the second round. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Denver. He poses with Elway, poses with his number 19 jersey. Uh, that's, where, that's where Drew Lock lands. But as it turns out, he is not going to be the quarterback for the Broncos next year. That's been established. Mm-hmm. Joe Flacco is, is the Broncos quarterback. What do you think his uh, evolution will be in, in Denver? How long before he becomes the starter? I, I think it's going to be very interesting. You know, we were talking about this a little earlier around here, but Joe Flacco wasn't the most helpful guy to Lamar Jackson when he got taken last year by the, uh, by the Ravens. I think this is a very interesting situation for Drew Locke. I mean, he's played his entire career. He's never sat the bench, really, for anything. Four-year starter at Lee Summit was the number two behind Matty Mock that got a series or two every game for three or four games. And then he was essentially a four-year starter in my eyes at Missouri. This is going to be the first time maybe ever that he's not the guy. So I, I think a lot of it's going to hinge on what Flacco does for him as a mentor. He's never really had one before. And, you know, what do the uh, what do the Broncos do on offense to build around him? You know, there's a familiar face there in the center, Connor McGovern, who was on the, lo- the line with... Uh, who blocked for Drew Locke as a freshman. They traded, I'm going to screw up one of them and not the other, Emmanuel Sanders is the one they traded to Houston. So Demarius Thomas is still there, so that's a reliable veteran he has. But, they, you know, this is a team that's more known for its defense with guys like Von Miller. So I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see if Drew Locke's the quarterback for the future, how do they go about putting young pieces around him down the line. I think he'll sit for a year or two. I don't see him sitting for more right. than that. So you're right. The Broncos are known for their defense, terrific defense, Von Miller-led defense, uh, and not developing quarterbacks. Uh, since you know Peyton Manning led them to the Super Bowl 50 victory, they've drafted uh, Brock Osweiler, uh, Paxton Lynch. Neither of them obviously turned out to be the quarterback mm-hmm. of the future in Denver. So I think if, if, if Missouri fans who now follow the Broncos and Drew Locke have a you know, have a little bit of concern. It's, you know, the Broncos' inability to develop a quarterback in their organization. Interesting stat I looked up. Um, by the way, side note, I had thought Paxton Lynch was still in the Broncos roster. Imagine Barry Odom's situation. He helped recruit Paxton Lynch to Memphis and then would have had both backup quarterbacks be personal ties to him. You mentioned Brock Osweiler. There's not a – it's a weird history with second-round quarterbacks taken. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but – Derek Carr is a second-round quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, 
Um, Geno Smith, Christian Hackenberg from my hometown Jets. Uh, I mentioned Drew. It's it's really a mixed bag. And then you also have um, – I'm going to see if I could pull it up. But there's been, it's, it's a really mixed bag of quarterbacks taken in the second round. There's no – there's no guy you really point to and says, like, this is a second round. You know, obviously Tom Brady was in the sixth, sixth. 199 pick. Uh, Russell Wilson was a th- third round pick. But if you look at the second round guys, it's it's very much – there's not really a guy you point to and say, well, they, this guy came out of the second round. That's a good sign. It's it's some, some dumpster fires. I, I would put Jimmy Garoppolo in the category of kind of un- undetermined. Right, but – but uh, but has a promising seems to have a promising future. Yes, the Forty Nine ers certainly invested in him. Before yes. he was injured at, at Arrowhead last year. Yes, here's the full list: quarterbacks taken the second round of the draft since 2011. Deshaun Kaiser, now the Green Bay Packers backup, but disastrous with the yes. Browns. Hackenberg, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Osweiler, Geno Smith. Here we go: Colin Kaepernick and Andy Dalton. Hmm, okay. So those are two guys that. But you got to go back a little way. Exactly. So it's it's again it's it's more about the fit necessarily, but it's it just stru- struck me that that's a very that the range of failure to success you get it all in the second round. All right. So before uh, before we let you go, Alex, I wanted to ask you also about your NFL draft scene uh, observations because you know Nashville uh, was awarded this draft and Las Vegas next year in a bid process that Kansas City was involved in. Kansas mm-hmm. City and Cleveland, along with Nashville and Las Vegas, were the four cities uh, that bid for the, for, the, for the destinations that went to Nashville and Vegas. So Kansas City still interested in holding the draft here in downtown Kansas City at some point. First year it becomes available would be 2021. Kansas City officials are, are hoping to get it sometime in the next four or five years. Uh, Chief CEO Clark Hunt said as much uh, over the weekend during, during the NFL draft. I just want to know what uh, what you saw. I know you were there to cover Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, Drew Locke and Missouri players, but you were in the middle of it as well. Mm-hmm. Everything I read was very positive about how Nashville handled it and maybe set a new bar for city excitement and civic uh, pride over this thing. What? Just give me some of your general observations of Nashville. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting how wide the range of fans were that I saw. You know, I saw a ton of 49ers fans. I saw a ton of Arizona Cardinals fans. I probably could have found you a group of each fan from each team. And, and I don't, you know, I, I know certain fan bases, but I don't, you know, I couldn't point out to you which one would say, well, they're, they're a team that would, they're a fan base that would follow their team in the draft or something like that, you know. And I agree. I thought it was very well handled. Um, the thing that struck me, again, because you cover so many events on this beat from Bridgestone, there was a lot of accessible parking that, like $30 for four hours, which I think is not a bad deal, two or three blocks from the stage that you had plenty of options for. I was very... Very impressed with that. I thought the NFL did a great job. You know, I was on the set of Good Morning Football. Uh, personal buddy of mine's a producer, Emmanuel Hall, was on. I was embedded with him as we discussed. Um, they had a great crowd for Tootsies. They did another show from another rooftop bar. And it, it they had a lot of cool, obviously, that makes for a lot of good scenes, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good ways for fans to kind of, you know, you go to the bar and get a drink, and now you're watching them talk football. There was a lot of that. So I... I thought it was very well handled. You know, the, the, again, I, I was thinking the whole time when you guys were telling me to take pictures and see of uh, videos and everything, how to look in Kansas City. You know, I thought what made the arrangement in Nashville work so well was they had a ton of stuff going on at Nissan Stadium, and obviously you take that pedestrian bridge right over and you land right into Broadway. So there was a great way for they had a ton of you parked your car at the stadium too if you wanted for the drift. They had a ton of stuff there, 
at the stadium, the NFL experience. They had a couple games for kids. And then you walk over to Broadway and you got the actual stage. You have the stages for the different shows the networks were doing. You had all the bars. You had Bridgestone. Uh, they had this giant arch as you kind of walked in. The whole thing of the NFL experience said, who's on the clock? They had live highlights of everything. I thought it was very well done in all those senses, but I also just kind of thought the geography kind of helped them out. You know, I was asking myself, you know, would the plaza work for that or would that cause too many traffic issues given everything going on there? Would power and light be better? You know, seems like Arrowhead's too far out from all the main stuff here for there to be like some kind of thing there. So that, I was kind of wondering if it were to go to KC, just what's the best spot for it to be here? I think the, the idea, if, it, if and when it comes to Kansas City, is to put the stage, sort of the, the, the grand stage in, at Union Station and, and then have work. fans uh, you know, basically work their way up toward the Liberty Memorial, which is, if you remember the Royal Celebration Parade, that's where the parade ended. That's where the Royal Stage was, mm-hmm. where the players had their, um, uh, their their celebration with the fans after motoring down Grand Avenue. And then you had the you know however many hundreds of thousands of fans sitting on the on on the grass mm-hmm. on the way up to uh, Liberty Memorial. So I think that's the working plan for for Kansas City. We'll we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition. They do have other options, and it sounded like Nashville used a lot more than just Broadway. For this, and and that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the idea, and that's what it's become when you bring a hundred to two hundred thousand visitors into your town. Uh, I would think there'd be no other sporting or any other attraction like this, where so many people come from out of town. I think I saw a survey when it was in Philadelphia two years ago. Uh, a, a post draft survey had sixty five percent of the people who were there came from out of town, which sixty thousand or sixty percent or sixty five percent of a couple hundred thousand. Is a lot of dollars being dropped in your restaurants and hotels. Yes, I'd love to see what the number of the number is for what Nashville did in money from all this. And what blew my mind too is that and I was only down there the first two days, but you couldn't pay me. You know, I uh, I get asked a lot being from the New York area. Do you go? Have you ever been to watch the ball drop New Year's Eve? Times Square. And I said no, and and I don't want to get too gross, but I've I've had friends that have gone. These are grown men. These are our age, Blair, and and they'll, they'll wear diapers because you have no public restroom access. For, for a very long time. And I couldn't believe all these people, you know, you get to walk from, there's a media tent set up, and then that's to the left of the stage if you're looking directly where Roger Goodell would come out. And then there's the red carpet kind of buried a little back. The red carpet was probably the coolest thing because you get to interview all the prospects whenever you want. It's open season. But uh, all the people that were jam-packed right in front of the stage on the second and third day for rounds two through seven, you know, they didn't even announce all those picks at the podium. Right. And and they don't even you know some of the I thought they kind of could have cut when you're when you're watching the draft at someone else's house and you just want to keep moving you know they had all these guys doing the fan chants and everything but I I just thought it was crazy I get round one I thought there'd be a huge drop off like it was pretty consistent for attendance the second and third day and that I if you were to I would have lost money if I put a bet on that interesting well on that imagery we will uh, we will bid you farewell yeah. Alex and thank you so much for coming in and and sharing some thoughts, and we will talk to you again soon. Yes, this was fun. Links to the stories that we discussed today can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. I don't say this enough, but I want to thank Kathy Liu, our producer, and Leah Becerra, our technical advisor, and she does just about everything else for this podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.